801 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are in hour three of the program. Tyler Dragon from USA Today, NFL writer, is going to join us in just a moment to kick off hour three. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Our next guest joins us now. It's Tyler Dragon, uh, NFL writer for USA Today here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Tyler. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing fine. How are you two doing? We're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Uh, We're going to whip around a bunch of different stories in the NFL, but I want to start with one that's kind of really captured our attention the last couple of days, and that's the developments in San Francisco with Trey Lance, a guy that they spent a lot of draft capital to get, a very high draft pick to bring him in, and now is the third-string quarterback behind Brock Purdy and Sam Darnold in San Francisco Tyler, would you be surprised if the 49ers started to listen on calls potentially for Trey Lance? Uh, No, I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, uh, I am hearing that they are already listening uh, to trade offers for Trey Lance. Um, Third-string quarterbacks, they're not often uh, to come by on teams. And um, he really has not looked the part since the 49ers drafted him. Now, part of that is because of experience and lack of reps uh, since college. Um, But, you know, the 49ers, they seem to be moving on with uh, Brock Purdy and Sam Darnold. And Brock Purdy, in his limited sample size, has outperformed Trey Lance. And Sam Darnold beat him out uh, during the preseason and training camp. So uh, he really lost not only one job, but two jobs. (laughs) So the 49ers, um, yeah, I do believe that they are going to be shopping Trey Lance. And I would uh, be surprised if he is still in a 49ers uniform, um, you know, in the next couple months. What's the value of, of, of Trey Lance right now? I know he was the third overall pick, but maybe people are starting to say, well... Maybe we overvalued this guy from North Dakota State. Yeah, uh, you know, the potential's there. The arm strength is there. The athletic ability is there. The ability to maneuver and extend plays with his legs. However, he is a a raw passer, and he has not gotten a lot of reps. I do believe that teams will maybe second, third, fourth-round pick. Definitely not worth the first-round pick at this point uh, just because of what he has put on tape thus far in his limited uh, career. So I do believe there's there's some value. I'm hearing teams like the Minnesota Vikings, he's from the Minnesota area, or teams are just on the lookout for uh, a young, mobile, athletic quarterback. Maybe a team like the Atlanta Falcons as well um, that could be uh, on the lookout for player like Trey Lance because the 49ers can't really afford to have a I know this was their plan last year I wonder how that would have worked out if he would have stayed healthy but they can't really afford to have a a quarterback who's like who f- looks and feels like he's learning on the job although I guess Brock Purdy will be doing that too well uh they can't afford it because he's still getting first round pick type money 
And uh, especially when you have a player like Brock Purdy, who's making seventh round Mr. Irrelevant type money, who is eventually going to want a contract that um, is worthy of a starting caliber quarterback. And then they paid Sam Darnold uh, a pretty good salary to be a backup quarterback. So that is a lot of money tied up to the quarterback position for three players. So that is one of the reasons why. Uh, you can see the 49ers parting ways with Trey Lance, especially if he is all the way down to number three on the depth chart. Uh, Trey Lance could very well be on a new team by the time the regular season starts. So, too, could current, I stress the word current, Indianapolis Colts running back Jonathan Taylor. If you had to guess right now, Tyler, where do you think Jonathan Taylor will be playing football this season? Oh, man. If I had to guess, I would still say the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, however, I am hearing teams like um, the Los Angeles Chargers could be interested. The Miami Dolphins uh, could be interested. Even the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm hearing teams uh, of that uh, that are playoff caliber teams that are looking for that next big piece at running back. Uh, but the Colts, man, you would like to see them keep Jonathan Taylor, especially with a young rookie quarterback like Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson is a rookie quarterback, and his best friend could on the team could be a player like a Jonathan Taylor who you can hand the ball off to 20-plus uh, times a game. So you would hate to see, uh, for Anthony Richardson's sake and the Colts' sake, then parting ways with the player of Jonathan Taylor's caliber, but... It's looking like that it, a lot of damage has been done between him and the owner. So it, it, it remains to be seen. I would like to see him in still with the Colts, but it's looking likely that he's going to be elsewhere. Tyler, I imagine one of the most important pieces you've ever written in your career was the one about Will Levis enjoying mayonnaise. Um, <laughs> what uh, What is the story there? And like, what are the chances? Like, what is the quarterback situation in Tennessee? How that how is that going to shake out this year? So I will say it was one of the most fun pieces <laughs> I, I've written. I'm not a huge mayonnaise fan, but uh, Will Levis is. Uh, he made uh, headlines by putting uh, mayonnaise in his coffee um, before he was drafted while he was at the University of Kentucky. And um, as you probably know, uh, that is not a a normal uh, mixture with coffee. It's not the cream and sugar <laughs> or the milk. And so he uh, made a national headways, and I think he was trendy on Twitter when that um, all ordeal happened. Um, as far as his uh, football prospects and his ability on the field, uh, he's still raw as a quarterback, too. Uh, the Titans like his arm strength. They like his makeup and, you know, where he went to college and, you know, his experience in college playing the SEC in Kentucky. However, he is uh, kind of like uh, Trey Lance, third on the uh, depth chart uh, with the Titans. He is currently losing the backup battle with Malik Willis. And then Ryan Tannehill is pretty much entrenched as the starter this year. Now, the thing is, though, in Tennessee, uh, I don't see Ryan Tannehill staying with the Titans for the next few seasons. Mm -hmm. um, maybe next year there could be uh, a time where Malik Willis or Will Levis battles it out for uh, the next starting quarterback uh, position in Tennessee. But 
as it stands right now, Malik Willis is the leader in the clubhouse to be Tennessee's uh, top backup. We're speaking to Tyler Dragon from USA Today here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, Tyler, so in addition to being an NFL writer at USA Today, your bio also says that you're a track and field writer. Your bio also says that you were a track and field athlete uh, in university at Howard and UCLA. So there's a picture of a discus, and I, I looked. You <laughs> threw discus in university, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Because uh, this is such a bizarre coincidence, but locally there's a guy here. Well, not from Vancouver, but close from Nanaimo, uh, named uh, Ethan Katzberg, who just won the gold medal uh, in the hammer throw at the um, what should we call it? World. World Athletic, World, World Athletic Championships, thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Now, I had to ask you a variety of questions <laughs> about this. First off, do the, okay. thro- the track and field, do the throwers all kind of hang out with one another? Like, you've got jumpers, both long and high. You've got runners. Do the throwers all kind of hang out with one another and share trade secrets? So, th- that that's a really good question. Now, I-, I will say yes and no. A lot of the throwers tend to typically hang out. Now, me, typically, I like to hang out with the sprinters. I, I always wanted to be a sprinter, and I always had more in common with the sprinters. So, I hung out with a lot of the sprinters and the jumpers. But, yes, typically, the throwers do hang out and they're friends. You know, the throwers are the big guys on the team, so mm-hmm. we like to eat. Right. <laughs> so we usually hang out at the dinner table. Is there a hierarchy of throwers? Like, who's considered the coolest? Oh man! Probably. I mean, obviously I the discus throwers. Putters. The shot putters are I the coolest. The, I w- I would say the shot putters because the shot putters are the strongest. Mm-hmm. They're usually the biggest. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say the shot putters, do, and then next is the discus. Oh, uh, do the javelin guys have like a big ego? Just because they're, they're, no. they're no, not at all. No, nah. okay. All Did right. you nobody ever? Really, I mean, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, well, I was going to ask. Nobody you. really, look, nobody really like looks at the javelin throwers because the javelin they're not really that. They don't have the thrower's physique. If you look at a javelin thrower, they're usually taller. They're right. leaner. Uh, they have the long arms. They are <laughs> the javelin throwing motion is kind of like, like a football throwing motion a little bit, right. just a little bit. Did you ever <laughs> dabble in the hammer throw? I dabbled in it, but I was very bad at it. Okay, what constitutes what, what makes a good hammer throw? Because we're trying to fit, we're going to have Ethan Katzberg on the show next week. Yeah, we need to be prepped. But he kind of came from out of nowhere to be the best hammer thrower in the world, and he's done it now in consecutive years. He's been the gold medalist, and he's only twenty-one years old, which I also find crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the hammer throw you need very good technique. The technique to throw the hammer is very technical, and the footwork that you have to master is very hard. So he has mastered his technique, and then just the release point of the hammer is kind of uh, different um, than any other throwing event. The way you um, hold the hammer, the way you release the hammer, it's, it's a very hard event to learn it's probably one of the harder events to learn out of the throwing events but if you master it you're very good at your craft so he deserves a whole lot of credit to be 
a world champion because Hammer, uh, from my experience, is very difficult. <laughs> and, and, uh, and the technique to throw the hammer is very uh, hard as well. Well, Tyler, thanks for taking the time to talk with us about the NFL mayonnaise and uh, throwing sports. <laughs> in the, it's a very eclectic interview that we had with you. Enjoy the rest of your day, and thanks for taking the time. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day. Yeah, thanks, you too. Thanks. That's Tyler Dragon. So NFL track and field and NBA national reporter for USA Today, former discus thrower. He, actually, he also played football. Mm -hmm. university as well i bet he's a good athlete yeah yeah Yeah, he's a good athlete i bet um you must have been just like i will never pick up their call again after that oh i'm sure he loved it think so yeah we showed an we showed an interest in his personal story how many hits has tyler dragon done where someone went down the rabbit hole to know that you you performed very well at howard university in the discus throw he didn't really have a lot of respect for the javelin throwers did he that's fair there's this i think there's a story there I didn't. He I was just like doing okay. with the goofy long arms and. Right, he did say it was like throwing a football, so I suppose there's that. But yeah, I, yeah I'm, I was I was not surprised about his answer with the shot put being the sort of glamour of the throwing sports mm-hmm. because um, that's the one. I think whenever you know when you watch the Olympics and suddenly you become a track and field enthusiast for like ten or fifteen yeah, minutes. Yeah. Whenever they go to the throwing sports, the shot put always. I think it always seems like the most intriguing because the guys look like the strongman competitors, right? Like Thor Thorson from Iceland, like mm-hmm. he's throwing the shot put, right? right? And then I did notice with our good friend, although we've never actually met him or had him on the show, Ethan Katzberg, he's not of that physique. Like when I saw you, you uh, so cleverly described him as a gigantic David Crosby, which is still very accurate and correct. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's not he's he's a he's got a basketball player's physique. Mm-hmm. So I mean you just assume all the throwing sports you kind of need to be like Tyler alluded to, like the big heavy dude yeah, yeah, that's yeah. sitting there going for thirds at dinner. And you're all <laughs> challenging each other to eat more. Well but- speaking of going for thirds at dinner, we gotta talk to Rick Dollywall. Uh he joins us now. We only got uh ten minutes with Dolly. So Dolly, how are you doing buddy? All good, pal. All good, pal. Ready to go. A hockey season is upon us very soon. Okay. I have a question about Elias Pettersson um, yep. and the contract talks this off season. Uh Have there been any? Well, for sure there's been dialogue. Absolutely, unequivocally, 100%. There's been dialogue between the two camps. Um, but I was told two weeks ago it was very quiet on Pettersson uh, concerning the contract. No rush. Uh, Jason, from either side to get it done this summer. I think the only guy on the planet that thought it was going to get done this summer was Jason Brupp. Um, there's a lot I, of I reasons why. Recall saying um, that, but first going. off, Pedersen needs to determine whether he wants to sign short or long-term in Vancouver. He hasn't made that decision. That's his right. He's a very methodical guy, very patient. He doesn't rush into things. He's got that cool, calm demeanor. Also remember this. He watched what Bo Horvat went through last year, the media scrutiny about his contract. When I reported that Horvat rejected a contract offer in December, Horvat wasn't happy. His teammates would have saw that. Look, this is a Canadian city, contract year, tough on players. Just concentrate on playing. And, and, and here's another one. You don't have to do all the contracts early. He's still club control for two more years. He's going to be an RFA next summer as well. Now, from the Canucks side, I don't sense any worry about Pedersen's comments yesterday. They controlled this player for two more years, like I said. It would be different if uh, for the Canucks if Pedersen was entering the final year of his deal as a UFA. Then this summer, 
Yeah, they would have worked hard to get a deal done, just like last summer with J.T. Miller and Bo Horvat. One final thing. Pedersen's agents, Pat Brisson and J.P. Berry, have lots of time to evaluate their client next summer as an RFA. That's when different circumstances will take place. The cap will go up. He could get another 100 points. His value could skyrocket. I sense no rush from Bisson and Barry. So I am not surprised uh, that, that there was nothing done this summer. How much of a factor is, uh, are the Canucks going to be a good team next season? Oh, sure it is. It, it, look, the only way this negotiation goes sideways is if the Canucks have another horrible season and Pedersen gets tired of losing and he wants out. Although he doesn't uh, have to ask for a trade, he can walk guys as a UFA in 24 months anyways. He's 24 years old. He's entering the prime of his career. He wants, he wants playoffs. He wants playoff wins. He's tired. Uh, every player in that dressing room is tired of what's happened here in the last 11 years. So, look, I get the fear-mongering. I see the tweets. Uh, he's done as a Canuck. I don't buy it. Not right now. Not right now. I get the fear from Canuck fans and the media. I see a lot of it, but it's not accurate as of today, and I'll tell you why. Look, the fear-mongering is from Johnny Goudreau, Matthew Kachak, Alex DeBrincat, Pierre Luc Dubois, all left Canadian cities recently. And Luc Dubois, by the way, has got the same agents as Pedersen, but we're far from that. I was told um, Pedersen likes playing in Vancouver, but here's the thing about hockey. You know, what you hear in August isn't happening in October, and what you hear in November isn't happening. And look at OEL. They were never going to buy out OEL, but they changed their mind because they couldn't move Garland or Myers to free up the cap space to go to shopping on uh, July 1st. So things change. It's just a part of life. Um, do you have any updates on – I'm curious about Tanner Pearson uh, and whether or not he's going to be even showing up at training camp healthy and ready to participate. Last time I checked in on Pearson, uh, in early July, I was not hearing it was good. Uh, but the last time I checked in on him, I heard progress with Pearson. He should be at training camp. But, guys, I'm trying to figure out what's his role. How does he get on the roster? He's now going to join a team with a new GM. He's now going to join a team with a new coach. That you know. So here we are. I, I, my biggest thing with Pearson is come to camp. But how do you get him on the roster? Because yeah. I, I'm looking at the roster, and I need, I need to see Hoglander – Pod Colson and Mikheyev back. So there's a lot of guys that are going to get pushed to the back of the bus uh, this training camp because of their signings. And, you know, so the Pearson I expect at camp, uh, last time I checked in, it was all positive, but I'm trying to figure out how you get them on the roster. Wouldn't they be over the cap if Pearson's healthy? Yeah, they, okay, here's what I was told when they signed Pia Suter. I was told even if they don't make a move with a, a, a trade, after the Pia Suter signing, they have the ability to be cap compliant. Um, obviously, we know Tucker Pullman is, is going to go on LTIR, guys. That's I, I think that's common sense. And I, 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 look, it depends. The roster, 21-22, there's ways to be cap compliant, even if they don't make a move after Pia Suter. Uh, let, me, let me tell you on Elia McKayev. I checked in on him yesterday. He should be ready to go. No, I've not heard of any setbacks. He started skating July 24th uh, week for the first time since January 27th when he had that knee surgery. So it looks good right now. I'm not hearing any setbacks this summer from McCabe. So he's obviously going to help the top six, the PK, all that stuff. So uh, it is um, hearing really good stuff on McCabe. Anyways, as of now. Uh, What about Ethan Bear? 
Okay, the Canucks still have interest in Ethan Bear and Bear in Vancouver. Bear could sign in October or November. With Tyler Myers last year in Vancouver, most likely Bear would be a guy who could fill his role at a much cheaper price. Insurance has Bear covered. That's why you don't go to the Worlds without that insurance. It is so important. It buys the player and his agent time, and it has done that in this case. Bear has teams interested, but Vancouver's high on his list. I uh, I, I would not... Uh, like just keep an eye on Ethan Bear. That that's a situation that could evolve, but it's a few weeks away from happening. Uh, we got a couple texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line at six fifty six fifty. A reminder, uh, everyone, get your what we learns in. We're going to do those coming up in about ten minutes time. Uh, someone wants to know about PTOs, professional tryouts, as it pertains to the Vancouver Canucks. There's been a couple former Canucks that have gotten them elsewhere in the league. Alex Chason got one with Boston. Brandon Sutter got one with Edmonton. Uh, any yeah. news there, Rick? When I look at the Canucks cap situation, first of all, I haven't checked in on that. Sorry about that. I was going to do that in uh, early September. But the, my thing with the Canucks right now is being cap compliant. If you take in a PTO and he makes the team, now you're looking for more ways to get him on the roster. So I, I will check into that. I haven't done this. Uh, I haven't done that uh, right now, but I was going to do that in early September. But I'm just wondering, guys, if you give a PTO to a player and let's say he makes it like the old Alex Chase on thing, Okay, so now you got to find money for that PTO. I'm just wondering, you know, look, they tried hard all summer, guys, to, to move Myers and Garland. They just couldn't do it. And, and they, it, it's the same thing. You know, uh, uh, Beagle, Roussel, and Erickson, the same thing is happening with Myers and Garland. They're trying like heck, but they, they just can't do it. They, they just can't do it. But they should be cap compliant. But I'll check into that. The other thing I want to uh, talk to you guys about is yeah. the captaincy of this team. I, I obviously I don't think it can be Pedersen with his contract situation up in the air, but I am certainly hearing Quinn Hughes name a lot when people talk about captain. I really like what he did when he stuck up and went to bat for Tanner Pearson. He's an elite player who gets better every day uh, in and around the off season. He's not the raw, raw guy, but his type of leadership is by example, but I am certainly um, we'll keep an eye on it. But uh, my, my, my bet for uh, captain of the Canucks is, 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 is Quinn Hughes. Do you think also that it might not actually be good for Pedersen to be captain? Yeah, you know, but just read the tea leaves. When when Rick Tockett was raving about, he was always asked about uh, uh, the captaincy, and he always brought up Quinn Hughes, and I kind of brought it up last uh, spring as well about Quinn Hughes being the captain. I, the, the, my gut just tells me, uh, you know, my, my feeling is that uh, that's the guy I'm picking to be captain. But you're right about uh, Pedersen. You know, he's got enough... Uh, pressure in this market uh, to perform he got his 100 points can he do it again you know his contract he's got so much on his plate right now yeah. guys um, why why put the addition uh, of the captaincy on him why I mean Quinn Quinn is a you know he's a bit more vocal uh, he's not the super raw raw guy but when I heard talk at rave about Hughes when he was asked about the captaincy I think they're leaning that way but we'll see time will tell Rick this was great man thanks a lot for taking the time we appreciate it let's do it again soon Sorry, buddy. Take care. You too. Thanks. Rick Dollywell from Donnie and Dolly on Check TV here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Coming up, it's What We Learn time. Get your What We Learns in. Hashtag them WWL. Text to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 and tell us what did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports. This can often be a tough exercise in the summer because there's a lot of nights where you come in in the morning and there's just not a lot that happened. You didn't really learn all that much. This is not one of those days. There was a ton of NHL news yesterday. There was a ton of sports developments yesterday. So weigh in 
What did you learn in the world of sports? Hashtag it WWL. Dunbar Lumber text line again is 650-650. Get them in. On the other side, we'll read them on the air. It's your chance to be on the radio. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The People's Show, where you're part of the show. Download the podcast and stay up to date on Vancouver sports all summer long. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. 8.31 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. It is what we learn time. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. All right. Uh, I'm going to drive traffic here for what we learn. This is our versions, not the humanoids. We're going to go. And I'm going to start. I'm going to take the lead. I'm going to take the wheel. I'm going to start with the fact that I learned something about an hour and a half ago on this show. When J.D. Bunkus came on, mm-hmm. was talking about how big a Seattle Seahawks fan that he was, I learned about Pete Carroll's appearance on Richard Sherman's podcast. I didn't know this existed. I didn't know that it was released to the general public yesterday. I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. Completely missed it. Were you asleep? No. I just, you know, there was a lot happening yesterday. Yeah. And I was researching, you know, discus throwers and hammer throwers and all this stuff. So I missed this. So I actually learned about all of this. And I learned that there is about a 90 second clip that a lot of people have clinged on to as the talking point. There were a lot of them from the podcast appearance, but the talking point was Pete and Richard Sherman digging deep, getting deep into the weeds on the play, obviously. Malcolm Butler's interception at the goal line in the Super Bowl that cost the Seahawks the second Super Bowl. So, uh, I'm just going to let the audio run because I actually haven't heard this audio yet. So, not only am I learning, I'm hearing for the first time. Here's Pete Carroll on Richard Sherman's podcast yesterday. Yeah, you guys are so mad at me and so pissed. (laughs) Hurt. I I, I wish I could feel it the way I should feel it, but, you know. You got to keep going. That play just happened. It wasn't like by design. It wasn't. There was no agenda that play just happened. You guys couldn't hear it for years. But when we got down there, if you remember, we had one timeout. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as we got there, I said, one of these plays, we're going to have to throw it to get all four plays. Because I'm always in, make sure that we have a chance to get all four shots. Right. So we run the first play. And I think what happened is Bill's late. He sends in the goal line team. Mm-hmm. And we had already sent in 11. Right. That went through the, the play callers. Mm-hmm. And that's what led them to throw it on that down. Right. It had nothing to do with anything else. Right. We've practiced it a million times. It was just the way we had prepared. So I was rock solid on, on the philosophy of it. Mm-hmm. It yeah. just was the worst play that could ever happen, you know? And the guy makes a, <laughs> he made a, heck of a play. play of a lifetime, I, I, I a play of a career, career for everybody's career, really. <laughs> and, it, and it turned all of that so dark, so instantly. Yeah. And I, if you remember, my moment was, I've been down and think, oh, shit, I got to take this, right. you know? I thought this is the one of those moments that you prepare for 
You got to be the epitome of poise, handle it, and own it. There's nothing you can say that's going to put it any other place. It was just as catastrophic as any moment could be. But the thing was, had we won that game, we'd have won the next We'd have won again because <laughs> we went back to the playoffs anyway. Right. Again, after with all the caramel. <laughs> it was a great team, man. Yeah. We were a great team. I always think when I think about the Seahawks and that play, at least they won one. Right? I, I think of that right. Seahawks loss um, in a similar fashion to the Canucks loss in that they should have won. Things went sideways, real mm-hmm. sideways, and they didn't win. Um, it was a lot harder, though, with the Canucks. Way harder because okay. they never won. That's a good point because this moment in sports time is, in terms of heartbreak, now, just let me work through this first. It's it's there with, like, Buckner ball through the legs in 86, sure. Canucks losing in 2011. But as you pointed out, the big difference is is that they had a, they won a Super Bowl, this, this group. It almost, like, in a way, having that win allows them to make this cathartic. Like, they can talk about it. Whereas with Buckner, for the longest time, yeah. he did not want to talk about it. And it was, it was a sore spot too sore to talk about, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you got to remember, like, 86 happened so long before, and Buckner had to carry that for like 20, 30, 40 years, and it was always an issue. This wasn't that long ago, and it seems like all the parties involved are able to talk about it. I think it's because... I think there's still some feelings. Oh, there's still a thousand feelings, but they were able to talk about it and Mm. not be like, I don't want to discuss this. It hurts too much. Hopefully we can all just come together as Seahawks fans and blame Russell Wilson. Yeah, and that's going to be the next great. <laughs> by the way, so you you do sometimes need a scapegoat, well, they, right? They, like that, that that's why scapegoats exist to make everyone feel better. So the other part of this is that Richard Sherman has kind of had this fledgling, not fledgling, because it's flourishing uh, media career now, right? He's going to be on with Skip Bayless moving forward. He's going to be the new Skip Bayless foil on Undisputed, and his podcast, which is one of his many media side ventures, uh, is getting a lot of play lately. Like getting mm. Pete was a big deal because of their history together. Sure. The next one is going to be if and when he gets Russell Wilson on his podcast. I think that would be, a, that, would that, be that'd be amazing. Fascinating. Yeah. Cause I don't, happens. I don't know if Russ can drop the facade mm-hmm. and be real. And uh, to be honest, I don't even know what real Russell what Wilson real? looks like. Yeah, yeah. So that's the next big one for me. Anyway, I learned a lot. Moo cow me. Uh, driving traffic here. I'm going to go to Laddie. Because Laddie has something that just dropped audio from the 32 Thoughts podcast with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick, in which Frege goes for about two and a half minutes on his interview with Elias Pettersson. Do we need any other setup here, Laddie? What well, do you want to tell me? It's, it's based on that clip that was already out on social media. So he kind of just talks about that after they play it on the podcast. And I know Canucks fans aren't going to calm down until pen hits paper but Elliot does his best job at trying to talk Canucks fans off the ledge a little bit in this clip. Now, it's Vancouver, and I say this with love. Everything there is a five-alarm blaze. Those are passionate, passionate hockey fans. The thing I'll say about Pedersen is he didn't want to – those two questions were the only two he would answer about his contract. He didn't want to say anything else besides that. But the thing is, like, someone called me from out there and said – Okay, what else did you get from his mood? Is there a reason to panic here? Like he's closing the door on the Canucks. No, I don't believe that. I think that, you know, he knows his next contract is going to be a big one, wherever it is. And I don't think he's worried about that. I just think he wants to make sure that he feels everything is going in the right direction. 
And I got the sense that he is confident in what they have. He just wants to see the results. And as long as the Canucks do what he believes and what they're selling him they can do, I don't think this is going to be an issue. They know they're going to have to pay him. I think they are prepared to pay him. They're prepared to pay him long term. I think the guy just wants to win and he yeah. wants to make sure that it's going to be there. But I'll tell you one thing, Jeff. Yeah. He is upholding his end of the bargain. You can see he's stronger. You can see he's serious. You know, he moved into Stockholm. He's closer to his trainer. You know, one of the things he did on the trip, and when the piece airs, people will see it, he brought a lunch onto the boat with him because he's only eating what he's supposed to eat. He's working on everything. The other thing that's interesting about it is he knows he's got a good shot. He wants to score more. I think that's one of the things that he's kind of talked about is he's unselfish. It's like McDavid. We talked about Dreisaitl and McDavid last year. Dreisaitl said that McDavid has to be more selfish, and McDavid scored 60 goals. I think Pedersen saw that. He watches that, and he feels he can be an even more dangerous player if he's a little more selfish. Like, if it doesn't go well for the Canucks, Pedersen is determined that he's not the reason for that. Mm -hmm. So I think he's going to fulfill his end of the bargain. So um, interesting thoughts from Elliot on PD's situation. And his lunch. I have one question. Why does everyone feel like they have to calm down Canucks fans? Like all the time. Why do why why do we? Uh, it could oh, be our pension for burning down the city. When, have you checked Twitter yeah. lately? Yeah, but like, why don't we just embrace that? Yeah, like yeah, we're passionate. And well, we can embrace it, but Fridge isn't going to embrace it. But I hate, but I hate how uh, I hate how every time that there's like any bit of news, right? Like the automatic reaction from some people is like, "Calm down, this means nothing." Right? right, like, and it's always like this this throwaway line, like Dolly while sitting there going, like, you know, I saw the I saw the people saying he's done in Vancouver. It's like, do you ever allow yourself to like feel any semblance of like worry about the team, or are you constantly in just like the don't panic mode? Like I think, you're just hang on. I'm get, I'm I'm just getting tired of it. Like I'm tired of people treating Vancouver the Vancouver market like like it's a bad thing that we care about this stuff. Like it's a bad thing that sometimes we, we lose it and like you have fun. Do you want, would you want all your friends to just be like, well, some things happened today and I guess I'm just going to have to take it all in stride. But let's like, not how try to, let's boring not, is that? Like let's it's not try to fun to have the people overreacting. Don't you think? Like, I guess there's this feeling among some people that it's bad for the team. Though, really? You picked up on that? Yeah. That some people think is that, that the, the, the gratuitous overreaction of the fans and media makes for a toxic environment for the guys. But is it overreacting job? to be to be actually wondering about what's going to happen with Elias Pettersson and maybe a tiny bit worried that the Canucks might get off to another bad start next season and he might decide that he wants to play elsewhere? I mean, if we're really I mean, truly... is, that, is that ridiculous to worry about? Like, I think it's okay to be mindful that I am a bit worried about this. Like you don't have to deny or reject the feeling. Just be like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, or at least be like, hey, I'm curious to see how this is going to pan out. If you really truly want to psychoanalyze this, and to on and have it like a, an honest like five second discussion about it, 
I think there's some validity to um, every time someone says anything, there's a reaction. And that, in turn, could affect future behaviors. Mm. For example, if this Pedersen interview on the boat with his personalized lunch um, goes on and on and gives a month worth of fodder, I think some people will rightly point out that, man, it sure would be easier just not to say anything ever. That's all. But now, from a personal perspective, I tend to agree with you. How boring is that? I tend to agree with you that this is what makes the fanaticism of sports fun. And like the pressure that the Canucks are going to be under in the first five or ten games of the season, doesn't that make it more exciting? Doesn't that make it more fun? Isn't that more of a test of the team? Like, oh, no, they're under pressure. God forbid they're under pressure, right? I mean, God I, forbid we find out what they're made of. I, again, like I, I take all of this quite comically. I think most of these people are hermetically sealed in this vacuum and need to look outside to the outside world. I had an uncle that lived 35 years in New York, and we'd go back countless times when I was a kid. That's a market where you get savaged. That's a market yeah. where if you're not winning, you're toast. I mean, we're seeing it right now with the Yankees. Someone texted in, dude, there were people calling in saying Petey has a foot out the door. Is that not completely ridiculous? Yeah, but it's the fans. It's an opinion. Like, who gives a you-know-what? Who, who cares? Like, maybe that person that called in has made the opinion. Like, he's like, I'm making a bet. I think he's gone. I think he's frustrated with the team. Like, that's just his opinion. Who cares? You know, Petey uh, and, the, and, and frankly, the rest of the Canucks need to get used to it because sure. it's, it's not going to change. Well, that's, that's, so, so that's I, valid. So, I, so that's I think, valid. The, I think the, the, the best advice you can give to players in Vancouver or any of these markets where, you know, you play for the team where it's like the number one team in the city and people care about it is be like, hey, come to the um, – like just be – just accept it. Come to the acceptance that this is the way it is. And, and some people will say some stuff that's like crazy or whatever. Like that's not toxic. Some people are like, it's not passion. It's toxicity. It's not toxic. Some people just think, you know, like maybe he's getting tired of playing for the team or maybe that's part of his thinking. Don't you think it is? Someone did. Don't you think it is? Someone did text that in by the way. It's not passion. It's toxicity. Speaking of texts, uh, can you fire up the dot matrix, please? We only have a handful of minutes left. We do have to read some humanoid submissions for what we learned and ask us anything. Basketball Phil with a question as we circle back to the Seattle Seahawks, Richard Sherman podcast. Uh, Basketball Phil wants to know, will Russell Wilson participate in the inevitable Seahawks 30 for 30 or will he produce his own Netflix one? Uh, I have another PSA on the sports <laughs> documentary front. So I watched Untold is the Netflix version of 30 for 30. That's a really loose comparison, but it's the same thing. Yeah. Untold has a series of them. The new ones are real bad. Real bad. The Johnny Manziel one. I don't one, think the Johnny Manziel one was good at all. The Johnny Manziel one was nope. not good. The, you know what it is? They're rushing them out the door, yep. and there's a lot of angles that go unexplored or just not it's mentioned not great, whatsoever. It's, it's not great journalism. Like, they don't explore it fully enough. I just think that this is part of the larger scale conversation that we're having about streaming and the need for constant totally, content. Totally. The Johnny Manziel one was so thin in, 
in in what it presented. Yeah. And you're left with like, well, what about this? What about this? What about that? Um, the Balco one was way too much Victor Conte. Mm-hmm. Way too much. Without really delving into... And, and I don't know if this is because they couldn't get other people on camera or whatever, but... And I haven't seen the Urban Meyer University of Florida ones, but apparently those are full of holes, full of like big gaps in the history. So, I mean, as a longtime purveyor and admirer of the 30 for 30 in the sports documentaries, the early 30 for 30 set the bar real high. When they were first coming out, they were very well done. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that it was filmmakers taking the appropriate time and editing and going back and not rushing them out the door. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing now is volumes of these things and it you can call it storytelling, but I wouldn't call it good storytelling. What you know what as an assignment because it's still slow in the world of sports. Dear Halbro listeners, go watch a few of the recent ones. Watch the Manzel one. Watch uh, there's a Logan Paul one. Don't bother watching that. <laughs> Uh, the the Balco one and the Urban Meyer one, and tell us what you think. If yeah. we're way off base, we can have the conversation, but I think both of us are pretty spot on. They're not good. Jay in Calgary says, sports docs are controlled by the people who they are about. That's why they all suck. Eh, I don't know about that. I think in some cases they, they there is that element to it. You're like the Menzel one is very clearly through his lens is what people are saying, right? They don't even mention the, the CFL. The defense of it is that this is Johnny's story, not a football story. But when you en- mm. he says, I ended my NFL career, and I was pretty much done with football when clearly not the case. He spent a couple of years attempting a, a comeback in other leagues and then not even mention it in the documentary? Right. Seems a little weird. It's it's just, it's an in- incomplete, wrong. It's an incomplete telling, I would say. Mm-hmm. if it, that That's how I look at it. And... Again, I I, th- I think you're absolutely right. There is an uh, insatiable appetite for content now, and we've seen this in sports docs now. When when you try and just create content for content's sake, and and you're kind of like, am I really passionate about this story? Am I just trying to get it out the door? Uh, Tim- we see this in TV shows. Totally. There's Tim- so much streaming that's just like this is garbage. This is nonsense. Timbo is texted in. We need a thirty for thirty on Elias Pettersson's lunch in Stockholm. I am. Very curious and kind of disappointed in Freed for not doing proper storytelling. We need to know what's in that lunch. <laughs> Some people, a lot of people texting in about the market as they normally do. Um, Jason, here's a text. Jason, the way the large and loud portion of the Canucks market reacts isn't, oh, I'm interested how this turns out. It's chicken little reaction and catastrophizing. Wow. Embracing that is ridiculous. What's the alternative? Like, am I embracing it or am I just accepting that it's going to happen? And I'm like, yeah, that's that's that happens here. There's degrees of it, though. You'll acknowledge that. There's degrees of catastrophizing. I don't know if that's a word. But a lot of the catastrophizing is like a sense of humor that we use to cope about being a Canucks fan. You and I, yes. Yeah. You've read stuff on Twitter. Of course I have. Where it's like, that's too much. Right. Of yes. Of of course. <laughs> I think that's like people when people about. are like you know directing their tweets at the players and saying awful things to them, but 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 what I've what I've come like you're gonna get that. The G- you, you know, know, you know, know do, what? You know do, you what? Me- do you remember when I basically like said like some people are idiots? Yeah. Like until sure. we change until we change the problem of some people are idiots. Like 
don't you just have to accept it in some ways? Like, yeah, that's part of it. But I, I, I get, I get kind of annoyed. Like, I feel like it's just like a throwaway line now. Oh, it's Vancouver. You know how they, they deal with things. It's, it's like, we're not all like that. And you can't just say like, oh, I have to be careful here because I know how Vancouver fans react sometimes. I'm just getting tired of it. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of it. Like the team has sucked for a decade. And it's like, oh, Vancouver fans are a little frustrated. You know how they can be. Yeah. Talk to your buddy Elliot then. He's the one that started the whole well, thing. Well, Dollywall does it too. He's constantly. And <laughs> My I think buddy Dollywall. And I think, frankly, it's like because the agents tell him that all the time. Oh, this market is crazy. And I'm like, like Dolly, Dolly, it's a passionate hockey market. Stop trying to, like, tamp it down. Like, we want, we want passion. Like, and if I'm the Canucks, by the way, do you know how much of their uh, franchise value is – tied to the passion of the marketplace it's true like do you want do you want to say like yeah nobody cares about us yeah right like oh well i certainly want to uh buy that team then you know would you be interested in purchasing a sports franchise yes how are the fans disengaged listen i'm just providing a bit of a devil's advocate here but i guess i am just getting tired of the constant like well you know how they are in vancouver what loving of hockey it's true Right, wanting a team to win the Stanley Cup, they how, love too much. How, how Don't hate da- us because we how, love. How dare we want to win a Stanley Cup? Uh, I got. I care uh, too much. So someone just texted in. Hey, the Manti Teo doc was good. The Manti Teo doc was awesome, and it was by the same uh, series, Untold. Here's my working theory on that. The Manti Teo story was already written. <laughs> Feels like they had a script to work off. Like they had, yeah, they didn't have to do much. Like story arc but it's creative because, themselves. Right. But it's because of how yeah. good that doc was that I was surprised these ones are so bad. Then Marty the Red Texan, this is a good point. What we learned, are you suggesting that we watch bad TV? <laughs> I guess I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I did. Watch the Manti Teo one and then watch another one and tell me that there's not a drop-off. But I am kind of telling you to watch bad TV. Well, I, I think, you know, the word uh, narrative gets a bad rap. Because people will use it in like, well, that fits your narrative or whatever. Right. Or you're just trying to create a narrative. Vancouver media and like fans. The, but, but, but a sports documentary needs to have a narrative. It needs sure. to tell a story. And yeah. I'm watching the Johnny Manziel one, and it ends, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, where did it go? Wait, it's <laughs> like, did I learn a lesson? Like, so what? Don't do that much cocaine? Yeah. You can make a lot of money <laughs> off autographs, apparently. I learned that. Yeah, like. Like there has to be some sort of story arc to it, and I just found that they didn't have that. Uh, you are getting a lot of support from people that are saying thank you, Jason Bruff, for defending the Vancouver market. No longer are we going to let people sully our good. Well, good's a strong term. Our good name out there. Fridge can do it because he's more powerful than us at the company. But the rest of you, no. Stay passionate, Vancouver fans. Stay passionate, Canuck fans. That's what I say. Do it. Do it. Be passionate. Be crazy. Not Uh, abusive, but crazy. Right. Don't be abusive. (laughs) No more pumpkin patch stories, too. Okay, we got to go for now, but we will be back tomorrow. Signing off, I have been Mike Halford. He's been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog. And he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.